Luke chapter number 12. I ask that you pray for Brody. Uh, he's one of our uh, Christian, Christian school students, and he, uh, he was out to church this morning with his mom. And during the invitation, he came over and, and uh, um, asked if he could talk to me. And so we went out, out to the um, conference room there. Um, and he's like, Mr. B, I want to get saved. And uh, it was really cool. Just We were able to go through some scripture, and, and uh, he was able to share uh, just the desire on his heart uh, to turn some things around in his life. He, he uh, talked about um, some different struggles and things uh, that he wanted victory over. And uh, we know that Jesus can give him victory. Jesus can give him the peace and, and the um, conquering sin that he was desiring. So it was really cool. Um, and he's like, I, I don't know what words to really say. And, I, and we went to the book of Romans where it just says confess or believe and confess. And I'm like, we believe. We believe what God has done. And I asked him if he did, and he's, he says, I do. Um, I believe the Bible. I believe what uh, uh, it says about sin, about um, him dying on the cross, and, and uh, all the different things that he believed. And then I told him, well, confess it. Talk to Jesus and tell him that, and then ask um, to be saved. And so he did that. And it was really cool watching that um, and um, just being able to, to witness the Holy Spirit save somebody is a truly awesome thing. So if you remember um, Brody, uh, pray for him that he would grow uh, in his, his walk with the Lord and also for his mom, Emily, um, uh, that uh, God just bless their family. So that was, a, that was a really cool thing this morning. So I wanted to share that uh, as we begin this evening. Uh, we'll be looking at a story of Jesus. Our whole day has, has revolved around him, and I, I don't think you can do church wrong when you talk about Jesus. And so we're going to be looking in Luke chapter number 12, and it's, it's, uh, we'll, we'll narrow in on a, a theme or a topic that God's kind of been working on in my life. Uh, my teens have heard a couple messages around this topic, and I've shared, I think, a little bit in our, our senior Bible study, um, and it just keeps coming back. And it's, I think it's a lesson God really needs or wants me uh, that he knows that I need, that I need to learn. Uh, and so I want to share this with you guys as, as, as well as preach to myself. And hopefully we can all uh, work together and, and provoke each other to, to learn something this evening. So in Luke chapter number 12 and verse number one, the Bible says, in the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, and we just, we'll, we'll just read that much of the, the first uh, verse there, just because it sets up kind of the, the environment that we're in. All right, Christ has been performing miracles, he's been teaching, he's been healing, all these different things, and he's amassed quite a following, all right? And, and some of them, no doubt, were just there to, to see something cool. Some of them wanted to be healed themselves. Uh, but then there were also people that wanted to learn, and, and they had a sincere desire to, to, to grow in their understanding or to see what, what Jesus was all about. Uh, in, the, in the first section, he talks about uh, uh, beware of, of the leaven of the Pharisees, um, and then he talks about the power of God in our, in our next few verses. But the one that I, the, the part of this story that I want us to pick up in is verse number 13. All right, in the middle of this teaching, in the middle of, of instructing all these people and healing people, someone from the crowd calls out. All right, and we'll see this in verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, Speak to my brother that he divide my inheritance with me. All right, do you think that would be an appropriate uh, interruption as Christ is teaching, as, as Christ is healing, as Christ is doing all these different, you know, um, showing mercy, compassion, all these different things, and what's he asked for? God, would you tell my brother to give me money? 
Would you resolve this, this conflict that we have about the inheritance? You know, and, and it's, it's convicting because there's, there's so often, and, and again, I'm, I'm confessing my own faults here, it's so often that we can get bogged down with material concerns of our lives. We get so concerned about the mortgage. We get so concerned about our bills. We get so concerned about things that in the grand scheme of eternity don't matter. Uh, we had uh, the opportunity to have my cousins over last night. We were playing games, and, and uh, they shared the testimony of someone in their church uh, who was, was battling cancer. And they had recovered from cancer, and now they were, they were facing cancer again. And the, the prognosis was not good. All right? They didn't have a lot of hope. And they, they stood before their congregation, and he gave the example. Uh, he had a, a, a mic cord. And, uh, you know, a cord uh, that you'd plug all your microphones in. And it just has that little connector at the end. And he gave the comparison that this life here is just that little plug. It's just that little piece of that cord. But for all of eternity, he was going to reap the benefits of a life that had been well, well lived. And it was, a, it was a testimony, such a simple testimony that impacted them. And as they shared that with, with my wife and I last night, I'm like, okay, God, I get the message. Uh, this is what we should be talking about, right? investing in eternity. I entitled our, our sermon tonight, Treasure Hunters. Uh, where are we looking for our treasure? Here on this earth or in heaven? And so we're going to look at how God responds, how Christ responded to this man. That his, his concern in the middle of all this teaching was, Jesus, help my inheritance. Help me figure this out. Tell my brother to give me the inheritance that I, that I want. And so he, he uh, interrupts or, or calls out this question to him. Uh, and again, he had just been teaching about the Pharisees. He'd been teaching about the value that we have to God. Um, and uh, being able to confess Jesus before men, you know, pretty weighty matters, and then now to deal with money. And so his response is in verse 14. He said unto him, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And it's one of those rhetorical questions. You know, Jesus is the judge. At, at, in, in Revelation, we find all the passages where he will judge the world, but that wasn't the purpose that he had come to do. All right, he had come to heal. He had come to tell people about salvation. And at this moment, it wasn't to deal with money. It wasn't to solve this inheritance issue. And so he tells him, I'm, I, who made me a judge or divider over you? Verse 15, he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. All right, if you go back to verse number one of, of the chapter, he says uh, at, the, at the end of that verse, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees. He, he used the same language to give a warning about the leaven of the Pharisees and now uses that same language to warn this man about covetousness, all right, about a desire. If we look at the definition of covetousness, it's an unlawful desire for the property of another, or a second definition would be a desire or gain of riches beyond what is necessary for our needs and wants. All right, it, it's, it's wanting more and more and more. You know, and as we look through scripture, it's, it's God has, has um, created us to have needs. All right, all of us have a need for shelter. All of us have a need for food. You know, but it's when we get that, that balance or the priorities of those needs versus our wants 
that we fall into this, this, uh, this issue of covetousness. And so he says, take heed, beware of covetousness. And he's gonna give the explanation of not only why it's wrong, but how can we resolve this attitude of covetousness? And he starts by saying, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. All right, Christ is not up in heaven looking down and saying, oh, Pastor Roberts, uh, he's, a, he's a good Christian. He's got 150K in the bank. He's doing pretty good, all right? Now, God knows your bank account, but it does not um, you know, change his opinion of you or you're not graded on how wealthy you are, all right? That's not a, that's not a matter um, that, that, um, that you, it's not what makes up your life. There are so many other things. And he says con- that your man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things that he possesseth. And to illustrate this, he spake a parable unto them. Uh, And the Bible says, he spake a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. All right, that that means not only did he have um, good farm, uh, farmland, but he was a hard worker. All right, you can have the best farmland in the world, but if you don't sow your crop, you're not gonna reap a crop. You know, the, the, the farmland that grows really good crops also grows really good weeds. And so no, no doubt that farmer had to go out and, and, and sow the crop, but also till it and, and weed it and all the different things. He would have had to go and harvest it. And so from, you know, from what we could tell, this man was probably a hard worker, that he was a smart um, uh, uh, as, as far as running this, this uh, enterprise that he had. He, he was good at it. All right, and, and his ground brought forth plentifully. He was profitable. But the issue wasn't in, in what we see in verse seven, and he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And beyond that, in verse 19, he says, and I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. All right, is it wrong to retire? Is it wrong to be able to put money away in a savings account and then one day you can, I know dad's getting pretty close, you know, you, you sign that letter and say, I'm done, you know, and you can, you can, um, you know, uh, slow down. You can do other things. You can uh, travel. I know uh, some of you guys really enjoy traveling or, or all the different things that you can do when you retire. Retiring is not wrong, all right? But the attitude of this man uh, was revealed by his confidence in what he had provided for himself, all right? We see that in the next verse, verse 20. But God said unto him, thou fool, all right, that, that, is a, that is a title or that is a description that I would never want to hear God say. Calvin, you have been a fool. All right, you have planned and you have toiled and you have put effort into things that do not matter. And because of that, I look at your life and I say you've been foolish. That's a very convicting thought. That is, a, that is something that I would never want to hear. And he calls him a fool because of what will take place next. This night, thou, uh, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall all those things be which thou hast provided? All right, this man did not have the retirement. He had prepared for it. He had, he had decided to, um, to, to tear down his barns and, and, and to, to, to live off of this wonderful harvest that he had. And yet it wasn't what God had planned for his life. 
All right, he had left God out of the equation. Like I said, it's not wrong to retire. It's not wrong to have a business and be profitable. It is wrong to do any of those things without God, without an acknowledgement of what God might have for you or might, might have and plan for your life. And so that, that was the downfall of the rich man. In James chapter four, verse 13, we find uh, the Bible says, go to now ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. All right, that's the reality. We don't know what God has in store. And so if I want to live acknowledging my reliance on God, Verse 15 is so important. For ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Like I said, it's not wrong to do all these things, but if we can preface them with the Lord willing, you know, God willing. And I have to admit, when I was younger, um, you know, I'd, I'd hear people say that, and I'd be like, well, that's so cliche, you know, and they're just, they're just an old saint in the church. And, and, but the, the more I look at this and the more I'm convicted on it, it's, it's something that I need to put in, into practice, all right? All these plans that we might have, I should be saying, Lord willing, we will do this. Lord willing, we can accomplish this goal. Lord willing, we'd love to, you know, do this or that. And when we do that, we are acknowledging that our lives are in the hand of God. And we'll continue reading here. Verse 21, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. All right, God tells us, Calvin, if you don't want to be called the fool, verse 21 is what you have to guard against. I can't lay up treasure for myself and not be rich toward God. As we look at that next passage, if, if that's my goal, if I want to avoid the, the warning, again, we go back to verse 13, the warning is don't be covetous, all right? He uses the parable of the rich, uh, the rich man who, who um, uh, didn't lay up treasure in heaven but had all those treasures here on earth that God calls him a, a fool. If we continue that thought as Jesus is teaching, we come down to verse number 22, and the Bible says, and he said unto his disciples, therefore, all right? Anytime you see therefore, it's kind of one of those linking words, all right? And, and we follow that thought. If I want to lay up treasures in heaven, I want to be rich toward God, I don't want to be called the fool, therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for body what you shall put on. All right, that, that phrase, take no thought, we, we kind of would, would look at that and say, well, God doesn't want me to care, all right, that, that's not the, the correct understanding of take no thought. Take no thought, uh, we would say, don't worry about it. All right, don't be anxious about it. You know, we, we throw that worry word around a lot. Uh, I'm worried about this, I'm worried about that. And, and really, that is where we fall into covetousness. And if you follow my, my thought, this is how my, my mind works, which I know is, is different than a lot of people, okay? Um, if I have a worry if I have anxiety, if I have an unknown, all right, I want to come up with a plan to solve it, right? I want to rectify that worry. I want to, to, to resolve that worry. I don't want to feel um, the unknown. And so I come up with a plan. And so often it's Calvin's plan. How do I solve this? How do I provide for this need? How do I meet this, this want? Um, 
And so the, the Bible is saying, look, don't be in, in uh, don't worry, all right? Don't be, don't let that be a, uh, your, your physical uh, needs in this life. Don't let that cause you the anxiety. Don't let that cause you the worry, all right? Take no thought for your life. Don't, we, don't be worrying about your life, what you will eat, neither for the body, what you shall put on. And then we see a common phrase that we saw earlier Verse 23, the life is more than meat and body is more than, ma- than raiment, right? There are more important things than just what I'm going to, my next meal. There's more important things than just what I'm going to wear, all right? Are those really uh, legitimate needs? Yes, you know, we have to eat. We have to, um, you know, have a, a, a somewhere to live. We have to have clothing. All of these things are needs, but they should not elevate to the point of worry. They should not elevate to the point of anxiety, which tends itself to trying to solve on our own. All right, continue reading. Verse 24, consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? All right, the idea that Jesus tells us here is, yes, you have needs. No, they don't amount to worry because God loves you, because God provides for us. All right, it comes down to trust. And that, that's the first thing I wrote down is this idea of trust. If I'm trying to defeat um, covetousness, and if we see that my needs and my wants lead me to covetousness, I, I defeat that by trust. I trust in uh, in God, all right? I trust in uh, a couple things specifically. I trust that God knows my needs, all right? Is there anything that, that comes into my life that God does not, that, that catches him off guard, that he's not aware of? And the answer is no. Is there ever a, a secret need that, that no one else in the world knows about? Maybe my wife doesn't even know about and God doesn't even know about. Is that, is that even possible? no. God knows our needs. God knows what we, what we um, require. Right, if we go earlier in the chapter, as he was teaching, uh, in chapter 12, verse 6, are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, which I know is not a lot. Fear not, therefore, Ye are of more value than many sparrows. That was, a, that was an idea that he taught in verse six. That's an idea that he's teaching now again uh, in, in verse number 24, is that God knows. All right, look at all of the creation. And God holds, holds the planets. He does all these things, all these creatures, the sparrow, the, um, uh, the ravens he uses examples of. And he says, I know what they need. I know if, if one of them falls, I know. And you don't think you're of more value than one of these birds? You don't think, you know, I created Adam in my image. You don't think I, I, I don't, um, do you? I'm, I'm mixing up my words here. You don't think that I know what you have need of. All right, I know all of creation. I know you. I know what you have need of. And you are more valuable than all these, these other pieces of creation. And I, I, can, I can help. I can, I can meet those needs. Um, and so he draws this comparison to the fowls of the air, uh, and, we, and we see that. Are, are you not more value than many sparrows? And then he gives us this, uh, this example in verse 25. 
And which of you, um, and which of you taking thought can add to his stature one cubit? And, and I kind of studied that, and I'm like, well, that's kind of a, a, a different phrase, all right, that I just take thought and I could add to my stature one cubit. And it's actually, it, it's, it's an accurate translation, but I think our understanding is a little bit, is a little bit different, all right, it's, uh, I looked it up, it's called an idiom. Do you know what an idiom is? All right, it's, we have all these phrases, right? And so it's not, from what I could read, it's not the, the, the way that it sounds or the way that it looks, all right? When we talk about adding to his stature, that word for stature means maturity, age, and size. Maturity, age, and size. And it's the same word that we find in Hebrews 11, 11, talking about Sarah, uh, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past. And then we find that word age, right? The same word for age, stature, or size. In John nine twenty one, the Bible says, but by what means he now seeth, talking about the, uh, the blind man who is made whole, we know not, or who hath opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, and that's where we find that word, ask him and he shall speak for himself. And so the stature is, you could look at it and you could think of it as someone growing. All right, my boys are over there and we have a a growth chart on the wall and February is birthday month. Are you guys excited? Yeah, they're excited. All right, and every February and every August, every six months, we we put them up against the wall and we measure how tall they are. And uh, don't tell Timbit, but Toby is an inch and a half taller than Timbit was at, at five and a half and six and all that. Um, and so we, we mark, sometimes we mark our growth, we mark our maturity by how tall we grow, all right, by our stature, all right? And so if we look at that, if we take that idea of the word stature to not just mean size, but also maturity and age, all right? And that's where we get the idea of adding, potentially adding a cubit to my age to just, can I extend my life? All right, and we we find that Scripture also uses measurements of length in reference to time. All right, in Psalms thirty nine verse five, behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth. All right, just the width of your your palm there. All right, and so in 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 the Bible we find time sometimes being measured in in an illustrative way by a length, by a distance. All right, and so when we find that phrase. Um, or find this verse, which of you can take thought uh, by take, oh, sorry, which of you with taking thought can add to his stature one cubit? Could you extend your life? Could you continue to grow? Could you add a single day to your life by taking thought? And that idea of taking thought is worry. All right, remember we saw that earlier uh, um, in verse 22, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Not that you don't think about it, but that you don't worry about it. Take no thought is, is the same as worrying, as anxiety. And so if we look at verse 25, it helps us to understand how that might fit in this passage. All right, I shouldn't worry. If I, if I put all my anxiety, if I put all my worry and I put all my mental effort into it, I couldn't extend my life one, one minute. All right, God has a time. God has ordained that. My life is in his hands. And so, you know, both, both ideas there are correct. I, you know, I can't stand here and, and with my worry or with my thought add to my stature. But if we also look at that phrase as, as uh, relating it to our, our age, I can't prolong my life by a single second outside of God's, uh, outside of God's uh, direction and by his will. 
And so both ideas are, are, are there, and it was kind of a, a neat thing for, for me to learn. Um, in verse 26, if ye then be not able to do the thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? All right, we cannot, there are things in our lives I can't change. As much as I worry, as much as I try and solve, it, it's impossible. There are things outside of my control. And then he gives us another example. Consider the lilies, how they grow. All right, how many of you enjoy gardening? All right, well, we got some people, all right? My wife is growing an avocado tree in our house. In my kitchen right now is this avocado thing. And so my cousins were over last night, and we were just uh, we were talking about it, and, and she's like, oh, what's that? And man is like, oh, it's an avocado. And, uh, and uh, so we were talking about, you know, can you actually grow a tree in your house? And, and so we looked, and they can grow, was it 20 feet tall or something? I don't remember what it was. But it takes 10 years. From the time you plant an avocado, it takes 10 years to, to have your first harvest. And so we, we laughed about that. But, um, you know, nature is beautiful. And, and to be able to, to plant a garden, you know, my mom has a big garden in the backyard, at least big, com, you know, from what I'm used to. And, uh, you know, we, we enjoy nature. We enjoy um, the beauty that nature has. You know, men, how many of you have bought flowers for your wife, right? And they, oh, no, <laughs> you know, they appreciate that. And, uh, and they enjoy that. It's, it's beautiful. And, and uh, um, that's how God designed them. And he uses that example. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. Yet I say unto you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. You know, for the sake of time, we're not going to read all about what Solomon had, his prosperity and his, his wealth and all the glory of his kingdom and all the different, um, you know, the, the, the gifts that other nations would bring to him. You know, but safe to say he was one of, if not the wealthiest king uh, that the Bible records. And, uh, and yet God says, the lilies are arrayed better than Solomon. The way, the intricacy of, of God's creation the complexity, you know, we were, we were um, listening to some Christian radio and talking about uh, uh, evolution versus creation, you know, and, and considering how intricate God has designed our universe, you know, how, how um, you know, just, uh, I won't go into all the uh, different examples, but how different animals, you know, how could they evolve? They have so many body systems that require so many other systems, and if one arrived before the other, what would you do? You know, and God designed all of those things, and yet the best that Solomon could do, God says the lilies um, are arrayed better than Solomon. God's creation. Verse 28, if then God so clothed the grass, which today which is today in the field and tomorrow cast in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? You know, God provides for the multitudes, you know, um, and, and he had done time and time again. He had, had fed them, he had healed them, all these different things. And it really comes down to that phrase and at the end of verse 28 that if I'm dealing with covetousness, if I am dealing with, with worry and anxiety about all these things, I'm trying to meet them with my own, I'm focusing on my own materials, it, it really comes down to, oh, ye of little faith. You know, if I could just, if I have that need and I know that God knows, I know that God cares and I know that God will provide, we have those promises, then my faith if I'm lacking in that ability, it's because my faith is small. 
And that's really what we need to be praying that God would strengthen. Verse 29, and seek not ye what ye shall eat, what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. All right, again, it's not that we don't care. It's not that, well, I'm just gonna sit in my lazy boy and wait for God to give me you know, my breakfast, all right? God has given you the ability, if you're strong and you're able to get a job, he's given you the ability to provide for yourself. You know, we, we tell the boys, you know, God has, has, um, has blessed us. God has given us the ability to, to be employed and to, um, to, to be able to provide for a home. And that is a way that God has, has provided for us. God can and does provide through the generosity of others. Um, and, and time again, we've, we've been, been sure to tell them, hey, we had this need that we couldn't meet and God used somebody else to meet that need. And there's so many ways that God can do that. And so when he says, you know, don't seek, uh, seek not what you shall eat and what you, sh- uh, what you shall drink, it's, it's doing so in a, in a worried manner. It's doing so in a way that I just, I don't know where my meal's coming from and it, it, it's, um, it, it's not something I can handle. Verse 30, for all of these things do the nations of the world seek. And at the end, is, this is the why we don't have to. And your father knoweth that ye have need of these things. That's how I can have trust, that, that God values me. I'm, I'm worth more than the ravens. I'm worth more than the sparrows to him. God, God loves me. God values me. God knows my needs. And God is all-powerful and able to provide we see in, in, um, uh, in, in Psalms 20, verse six, now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed. He will hear him from his holy heaven with saving strength of his right hand. And in verse seven, the Bible says, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. All right, we don't trust in our materials. We trust in God. The last thought, and I'm, I'm, uh, I am out of time, so we'll go very quickly, but is the, the second part of this is our trust and then our treasure. Verse 31, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God. All right, if I am able to trust in God and I am able to reject covetousness, I'm able to reject the idea of I have to provide everything for myself. All right, that allows me to put my priorities to investing in the treasure of heaven. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God gets joy. God has pleasure in meeting our needs. That's a wonderful thought. Sell that ye have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where neither thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. Uh, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We see that parallel passage in Matthew 6, verses 19 and 21. We won't read them again, but it's repeated. It's recorded in scripture twice. Um, to lay up treasures in heaven. That should be our focus. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus in Luke 18, uh, he goes through all these things. I've been righteous, I've kept the law. And then Jesus said, uh, when Jesus had heard these things, he said unto him, yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that thou hast, distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. In uh, 1 Timothy 6.17, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, 
laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. All right, that's talking about eternal wealth. It's talking about laying treasures in heaven. Mark 9, 41, whosoever shall give you, a, give you a cup of water to drink in my name because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. All right, when I can serve Jesus, when I can invest in his plan and his purpose, um, and not just monetarily, but in, in service, you know, in, in serving each other, God says there is a reward there. Colossians 3, verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of this earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then ye shall also appear with him in glory. And so uh, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil uh, concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. And so as we followed this story, we we start with an individual who says, God, solve my problem, all right? Help Help my brother to see that he needs to give me the money. All right, I want that inheritance. He responds by saying, beware of covetousness. Beware of desiring more and more and more, all right? The man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth, all right? And we get to that point of wanting more when we try and meet our needs by ourselves. all right? And if I want to combat that, I trust God. And if I want to continue that thought, I seek my treasure in heaven, and it, it was a really neat thought, that whole, that whole passage. And I encourage you, um, just, I, I feel like I rushed through it, but just go home and in your own study this week, just study that passage out and, and follow the thought that Jesus was, was trying to teach this man. You know, I don't know exactly, in, in verse 22, it does say he said unto his disciples, but I wonder how much of this teaching that man stood there for. You know, he's like, Jesus, get, I want, help me solve this. I want the inheritance. Then he goes and teaches about this. I wonder how long he listened. I wonder if he had eye contact with them. You know, this is my teaching right for you. Um, and, and I wonder if he got the message. I wonder if he was able to overcome that attitude of covetousness by, by changing his mindset, by changing the, the idea that I need money, that I need material that I need to meet all my own wants. And Christ was just saying, just trust me. Trust, I will meet your needs. I know you, I value you, I have the, the cow of a thousand hills, and God can meet our needs so much above what we could ever uh, think of doing ourselves. And so as we close this evening, I just, it's something I have to learn. Not, the, not to meet my own needs, but to wait on God, to trust that he knows all these things and to trust his plan. And so I would just challenge you, if you're in the same boat as me, uh, we can work on this together. Uh, And I'll pray for you, and if you'll promise to pray for me. Uh, And let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, I do love you. God, I do thank you for your word. God, I thank you that the Holy Spirit can speak to us. God, that you, you know exactly what we need from your word. And I do pray that for, for each of us here, maybe we, um, you know, we don't struggle with covetousness, God, but we worry and we're anxious. And I pray that you would help us with that this evening. Help us to remember that we're loved and that you care for us. We'll stand together and we'll have a moment of prayer and, uh, and give, give the Holy Spirit time to, to speak to your heart as well.